Welcome back, Whitney Braun. I have missed you. How have you been? I've I've missed YouTube. I've been fantastic. Uh, my baby is eight months now. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> so l- oh life god. just keeps going at warp speed. It's it's bizarre. Eight months. Well, I got to yeah. tell you, this is the first time probably we've done this podcast, and I look back. Our first episode was March second, twenty twenty two. Okay, so a year and three months. Yeah. I got to be honest with you, Whitney. I, I'm starting to get nervous. Yeah. Like, I never felt this way before. I was, it was always excitement. We were learning so much new. Every episode, yeah. we found another new piece of information. We seemed like we just had so much momentum. And I got to tell you, right now, today, I, I just feel like we hit a brick wall and the car crashed. We've been doing the podcast, you know, for 15 months. We've made an amazing amount of progress, unbelievable amount of progress. But we have not made any progress with convincing the powers that be that Chester Uyghur is innocent. Zero progress. And this is going to be, you know, like I said, my, my little transition to where we're at. It finally hit me that there was just nothing happening. So I filed on April 18th a motion for appointment of a new special prosecutor. Okay, let me explain. The Will County State's Attorney's Office, Jim Glasgow, was appointed by the court to represent the state of Illinois, and they're just called the special prosecutor. But So that's the entity that we're dealing with, okay? I first met with Mr. Glasgow two years ago, two years ago, and presented all my evidence informally, which I knew at the time, Bear in mind, that's before the podcast, okay? Mm-hmm. And there seemed to be a real sense of urgency, like, hey, time's of the essence. Chester Uyghur's in his 80s. Let's get to the bottom of this. And then something changed. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. And I filed this motion. We're going to post it on the podcast website. But what I allege in the motion is we want somebody else. It's not like I'm debating Will County about whether Chester is or isn't innocent. I simply want them to do their job. And what concerned me was, and I'll walk through these bullet points. The first thing was the Will County State's Attorney's Office misrepresented to me the condition of the physical evidence. So I haven't really talked about this much, and I was kind of holding it back, hoping I didn't have to talk about it much, hoping I wouldn't have to get into it, but I now do have to get into it. There's too much at stake. I wanted to look at the physical evidence, just the same way all the Boy Scout troops and Girl Scout yeah. troops and Brownie and school pro teams and, you know, have, have seen it in uh, LaSalle County. They've all seen the evidence. They've tried the jacket on. I wanted to look at the evidence, too. So I told that to Mr. Glasgow. He then went on his own and looked at the evidence himself, which I don't even think is proper. I think we should have been there, too, but he did. Mm-hmm. And he got back to me and he said, this is what he said. It's a complete disaster, Andy. That was his words. Complete disaster. There's no point in looking at it. In your mind, when you hear the word, it's a complete disaster, what visual comes to mind? Yeah, good good question. What I pictured was, take a bunch of physical evidence, slides, debris, hairs, whatever had been collected, put it all in a big, hefty garbage bag, shake it up, you know, a hundred times, and then dump it on a table. And it's like, oh my God, it's just like a bunch of, we don't know what's what, right? Sure. Yeah. That's what I pictured, but I was skeptical. I said, well, mm-hmm. you know, 
if it's a complete disaster, let me just look at it, you know? And he's like, no, 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 there's no, there's no point in that. I'm sorry. Wish I had better news for you, but no. Okay. So I had to file a motion with the court to ask the court's permission to look at the evidence. And we talked about this in a prior episode. The judge said, yeah, I'm going to let Mr. Hale look at the evidence. That's, that's proper. And I got to look at it and holy cow, Whitney, I was stunned by how organized it was, by the amazing condition it was in. My experts from Microtrace, Skip Palnick and Chris Palnick, the world's foremost microscopists in the world, probably took over 2,000 photos. I'm going to post some of them on the podcast website. I mean, slides, glass slides with things underneath, hairs and debris, labeled, perfectly labeled, like you label glass with like a diamond tip pen. You can write on glass with a diamond tip pen. Literally, the exact exhibit number corresponding to an index. I mean, slides in boxes. It was unbelievable. So then I thought, how could Mr. Glasgow have told me it was a complete disaster? It's not. He didn't want me to look at this. How could he have misrepresented this evidence to me so blatantly and told me it's a complete disaster? This is not an issue of relativity of, well, it seemed like a disaster to me, but not to you. And all things are relative. Like this was clearly not a disaster. And so what he said to you was not an accurate representation of the state of the evidence. Is that what you're saying? Correct. So then the question is, I think if 100 people looked at this evidence, I think 100 people say to me, oh, looks like in really good shape. Okay. Why would he tell me it's a complete disaster? Why would he tell me that and say, I don't want you to look at it? Okay. Now, only he can answer that question. I, I would love to have him answer that question. Let's just argue that it is a complete disaster. If it is a complete disaster, what harm is there in you looking at it? Like, like if None. Like, right. Okay. And in fact, in fact, if it was a complete disaster, the way I explained with a garbage bag and you just shook it up, yeah. you'd say, yeah, come on out. Let's go take a look at it. See? Yeah. Like, don't take my word for it. Take, take a look at this. It's just a bunch of junk laying in the bottom of a box. We don't know what's what. It's hairs, fibers, clothing. It's, we don't know. It's Nothing's labeled. Oh, Whitney, this, this was all labeled. Things were in envelopes, clearly labeled. The envelope was opened, but inside was exactly what was labeled on the outside. A ton of glass slides. In fact, most of the things I want to test now are under glass slides. Mm -hmm. Hairs that have previously been mounted in a mounting medium, they're perfect. Yeah. They've been perfectly preserved. In fact, for 1960, I was pretty stunned that the evidence had been kind of collected and preserved. And I thought a pretty remarkable way, you know, for something that long ago. So that always nagged at me. And I thought, well, you know, I don't need to bring this up right now because let's just see where things go. Okay. And I just kind of, I just, was hoping I didn't have to bring it up. I really was. That was the first thing, and that still bothers me so much to this day. And like I said, I'm going to post some photographs on the podcast website. I filed all these photographs that Chris Palinick took. There's so many, and there's no way anybody in the world could look at these photographs and say, oh, yeah, the evidence is a complete disaster. Mr. Hale should not even be allowed to look at it with his eyeballs. Heaven forbid. <laughs> He can't, he should not be able to look at it with his eyes. His eyes should not be able to touch this evidence, judge. No. Is that, is that the most outlandish, outrageous, ridiculous, preposterous thing you've ever heard? 
Well, I was sort of waiting for that add-on. Like, well, if he looks at it, it'll just be like, you know, in Indiana Jones, like when you look at the Ark of the Covenant, you'll just melt. You'll just you'll just disintegrate when you see it. Yes. In fact, I just watched that movie with me again. And I, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're exactly right. In fact, the very last scene where they, they're pushing the, uh, the big box back into yeah. the storage room, I yeah. feel like that's what's happening to the evidence now. Yeah. Let's just push it back away into a massive storage room and nobody's going to know what's there or where it's at. That alone right there could have been all I needed as grounds to, to have a new special prosecutor. And let me say this, it's very difficult. Somebody like Will County, they really are just completely answering to nobody. There's really almost no accountability. I technically have to show a conflict of interest in order to get somebody new appointed. Conflict of interest is typically something like, oh, well, you know, Jim Glasgow was cousins with the yeah. former prosecutor and He's got a conflict of interest because of that, like a family relationship sure. or it's something like that. Now, what I have alleged, I found a really amazing law review article, Boston College Law Review article that talked about how prosecutors have this inherent conflict of interest, right? They want to advance their career. They want to win cases. They want to convict. And they may not even know they've got this bias, but they do. They've got this conflict. And so really what I'm alleging here is I can't put my arms around it, but there's something going on, okay, as we're going to continue to explain. So the next thing was I wanted to conduct DNA testing. If you remember, we talked about this. Jim Glasgow said no. Will County opposed me conducting any DNA testing. I had to go to the court again, and the judge said no. Mr. Hale, I'm going to allow him to test these, these specific items of evidence. And we got permission to do that. So that was step number two on the evidence. Then I presented them, I presented Mr. Glasgow in the state's attorney's office with all my witnesses, all the people we've talked about in this podcast, the woman whose grandfather told her he picked the Chicago mafia guys who went down to Starve Rock and committed this, this triple murder. The guy from Hennepin who knew Smokey Rona and said Smokey Rona told him he helped organize this with guys from the Chicago Mafia. The telephone operator's daughter, the telephone operator's best friend, you know, Lois Lensek. A guy whose dad was friends with one of the deputies and said, you know, basically Chester Weger was framed. A guy who himself was uh, framed by Bill Dummett. I could go on and on. All these people, right? The Will County State's Attorney's Office interviewed collectively zero of those ah! people. Zero. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not saying they have to agree with me. What I'm saying is they have to do their job. How can you not think about that? How can you not interview the woman whose grandfather said, you know, that this was a mob hit? or the guy from Hennepin. I, are you kidding me? What? How, how hard is it in this day and age to pick up a phone? You don't have to get on horseback and ride across the prairies to like, you know, conduct these specialized interviews. Just make contact. I don't understand why that minimal amount of energy cannot be exerted in the pursuit of justice. There's clearly not an interest in anything they have to say. How do you not Look them in the eye face to face and say, I want to I hear from this person myself. Tell me what you told Mr. Hale. And then you're free to ask them any questions you want, you know, fire away, test their memory, test their credibility. They don't interview any of my witnesses, okay? 
that to me was also just incredible. We've talked about these Steve Stout documents, right? And there was this treasure trove of documents sitting in Steve Stout's basement for 40 years that we never saw. And we talked about some of those, you know, the memo where they couldn't match the, uh, the log to any trees in St. Louis Canyon, the interview with Glenn Palmatier, where Glenn Palmatier says he knows Robert Murphy, all this stuff about Lupe Cardenas, on and on and on. Well, we got access to a second batch of those, which included the original statement Chester gave. We'll call it the confession, the statement, the original. Steve Stout had that, the original document, okay? There's a signature from Chester Weger on every page in the left margin. I looked at those, and just to the naked eye, a lot of them looked weird. Like, it's very thin paper. So if you, if you look at the back side of it, for instance, the Chester and the W of some of the signatures bled through the back of the paper, but the other, the E-G-E-R did not. And if you look at the front, it's like there's two different pens. Some of the signatures, some of the lettering is thick, almost like you went, if you were going to trace it, maybe you like went over it like once or twice. It may be nothing, okay? It may be nothing. It may just have been, oh, the pen ran out of ink. Maybe there's some weird anomalies, but maybe not. Chester said he signed all the pages. Maybe he did. Maybe he just said that because he said he confessed as well. Who knows? I asked Will County, can I have microtrace? Again, these guys are microscopists, meaning they analyze evidence under a microscope, whatever that might be. They're, they are world-renowned. They're scientists. Can I have Skip and Chris Palnick look at those signatures under a microscope? Okay, let's see what it says. What's, what's the harm? You know, if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. But let's say there's, let's take best case scenario for me. What if there was evidence the signature had been traced? What if there was some evidence of, a, of, of something that shows it's not a voluntary signature, right? That would be ginormous, right? So Will County objected to that. I don't see the harm in doing it. And let me keep going. The Steve Stout documents, that first batch that's at the uh, LaSalle Historical Society, they never went out and looked at those. Will County never looked at any of those documents. I confirmed that with the uh, museum. I went out and looked at them like several times, took photos, scanned them. Will County never went and looked at them once. They didn't even go look at the documents. And so what I'm saying here is, this is the point of my legal argument. Will County has a duty to review the evidence. They have a duty to investigate. Okay, I'm not saying they have a duty to agree with me. They have a duty, though, to investigate, you know, and they haven't done any of those things. They've done nothing. And it's not a case, Whitney, where like, oh, it's some bullshit case. Uh, you know, Hale's got nothing. It just, uh, you know, we're not going to waste our time. I have given them some eye opening stuff, some jaw dropping stuff. And despite that, they have shown no interest in doing an independent, thorough investigation to get to the bottom of it. Why? So I filed a motion with the judge saying, you need to replace Will County. They must have some kind of inherent conflict of interest. I've even asked for an evidentiary hearing so I can put them on the witness stand, Mr. Glasgow and his, his associates, 
and find out why aren't you doing things? I mean, I don't know the reason right now, but what I can tell you is it's not normal. There's got to be some kind of a conflict going on behind the scenes. And I just think it's incredible. And so the state's brief is due on May 26th. And then we have a court hearing on June 20th where this will all shake out. Um, it's a tough burden. It's a tough burden. But uh, I feel like I've alleged some pretty powerful things in terms of the inactivity of Will County. Andy, have you ever had this happen to you in your career before? Have you ever <laughs> come across another state's attorney's office that has exhibited this much apathy towards a case? Unfortunately, yes. Okay. And this goes to the conflict issue. In my Cleve Heidelberg case, so Cleve Heidelberg is the guy that, this is how I found out about Chester Weger. Mm -hmm. I was representing Cleve Heidelberg. Let me, let me backtrack. You know, we did the uh, documentary movie, Murder in the Park. That documentary led to the exoneration of Al Story Simon. Al Story Simon got out of prison, asked me to look into his best friend's case, Cleve Heidelberg. I started to look into his case. Couldn't believe what I was finding. Evidence that another guy had confessed to the crime. We wound up getting Cleve Heidelberg out after 47 years out of prison. And Cleve Heidelberg is how I found out about Chester Weaker. But I went to the Peoria County State's Attorney at the time, Jerry Brady, with witnesses. I had the brother of the man who had confessed to the crime back in the day. And the brother said, yeah, my brother told me that he is the one who shot this Peoria sheriff's deputy, this botched drive-in movie robbery. And then I had another guy who had borrowed Cleve's car and lent it to the real killer, had told me, yeah, Heidelberg had nothing to do with it. You know, we borrowed his car. I presented those two guys and they were basically the summary of their testimony to Jerry Brady, the Peoria County State Attorney. Did he interview them? What's your guess? I'm going to say no. <laughs> yes. He did not interview them. He interviewed one person. Guess who? He interviewed the guy who prosecuted the case back in the day, who, oh, by the way, was his mentor. And that guy told him, oh, Mr. Brady, we got it right. He's Heidelberg's guilty. So I have seen this before, Whitney, and state's attorneys are, in my opinion, oftentimes incredibly reluctant to review a case even though it wasn't under their watch. You know, I'm not saying Will County didn't prosecute Chester Weger. Jim Glasgow didn't prosecute Chester Weger. It's 1960. Nobody wants to admit a mistake. They want to preserve the conviction. They want to, you know, they're on the team of the prosecution, team prosecution. So yeah, I unfortunately have seen this before. Now, what happened in Chester Weger's is even more egregious. Um, but the Peoria one was egregious too, because you're not even going to interview my witnesses? and talk to them. It's not like they got back to me and said, you know, Andy, we talked to your witnesses. We don't find them credible. We just don't believe them. Okay. That would be a different story, but not even talking to them in either the Peoria case or in the Chester Weger case, you know, it's egregious. Okay. So now here's a more pointed question. Is it be, I use the word apathy. Are they not following up because they just simply don't care or because they do not want to turn over the stones in this case? Because I think there's a I think there's a fundamental difference. I think in my personal opinion, it's the latter. Okay. I don't think they want to open the kimono because they're mm -hmm. they don't want to know what's there. 
They don't want to see underneath. Yeah. They want to just kind of keep their head in the sand. It's like a little kid. It's like, it's like, you know, with their hands over their ears, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. There's no other reasonable, logical explanation to me for why you would misrepresent the evidence, why you would not interview any of my witnesses, be opposed to me testing anything, not even looking at this new treasure trove of documents, not even going through them yourself. I mean, what they should be saying is, oh my gosh, Andy, you might be right. I mean, you may or may not be right. Let's both figure it out. Let's let's both decide what to do and figure it out, and I'll give you my opinion. They're not doing anything. Yeah. And so the way I started this podcast, Whitney, is I'm, I'm nervous. I'm yeah. nervous and I'm scared because every day Chester Weger gets a day older. He's already 84 years old. Yeah. And... Will County's had the case for two years, and look where I'm at. I'm at the point now where nothing has happened in two years. They have just, I mean, there's been inactivity for four years. Nothing's happened. They fought me and everything, and I don't got two more years, Whitney. Chester doesn't have two more years. I mean, time is of the essence, and at this pace, your son, little JJ, is going to be like in kindergarten before... I get to a point where maybe I'm making some progress. He's eight months old now. I mean, I know. I remember when we talked about him, he was just born. So I'm, as I sit here, I'm, I'm scared, Whitney. I really am. It's a joke, but it's, it's really not funny. But we've, we've made the joke in the past. Like, you know, when Chester Weger went to prison, you just said, hey, man, just wait. Wait a few more years. There's going to be this guy, Andy Hale. He's going to be born. And then wait for him to grow up. And then wait for him to go to law school. And then wait for him to practice for a number of years. And then wait for him to discover your case. And then, and then we'll get somewhere. And, and I was sort of joking to my husband. I was like, it's, I feel like it's going to get to a point where it's going to be like, well, Chester, we just need Whitney to have her baby. And then he's got to grow up. And then he's actually got to graduate from high school. So Chester, if you could just live to 120, if you could just hang on until 120, man, we're coming. It's going to be JJ taking over the case down yeah. the road. You no, know? it's crazy. I, it, it's that, like, oh, this is a case my mom used to work on back in the day when she was involved in a podcast. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm going to try to see if there's new evidence to test. And here's the other thing, Whitney. I mean, let's not forget one of the pieces of evidence was a DNA exonerating result. Okay. That, yeah, that's mind I mean, blowing. Okay. We, we, we have so many pieces of evidence, we forget about this one. This evidence, in my mind, alone is enough to exonerate Chester Weger. You got a hair found on the finger of Miss Murphy, the same finger that the fingertips cut off. Okay. And it's the same place where the state tested one of those hairs because they found a few hairs on that, that area. And it's not Chester Weger. It's a male, not Chester Weger. That is an exonerating result. Yeah. Okay. And in my mind, that alone is enough. And what does Will County say? Oh, it's not enough. So what? Okay. So then I say, all right, you don't think it's enough. I disagree, but let me test more. You know, that was a criticism. Oh, you know, there's other things you didn't test, other hairs. Okay, fine. Let me test some more hairs. And what do they say to that? Oh, they're opposed to it. So how do I, what can I do? I, the, the result I have is not enough. I want to test more. And they tell me no. They tell me no. They're opposed to me testing anything else. So does that sound fair to you? It sounds sinister. And, you know... If I could just, you know, rant for a minute. I was looking back through my notes and we, you first told me about this case in the summer of 2018, five years ago. And, and I have to admit a little bit of naivete here because 
I think prior to getting involved with you in this case, I had a perception that the truth wins out, right? And that the system is is flawed in many ways, but that ultimately if you have good research and good evidence, reason prevails, right? Reason and logic on the side of justice prevails. And I think what is scary to me, you said you're scared. I feel scared too on a grander scale because it I, I think it's it's dawning on me at this point in my life, which is perhaps embarrassing to admit, but if you get on the wrong side of the law and you find yourself in a deep hole, it is so hard, even with evidence, even with a lawyer like yourself, with the track record of these particular type of cases, even with DNA, even with DNA, it is so hard to dig yourself out of this grave, essentially. I don't know how else to call it. A, a grave that the state has put you in. It makes me feel so scared for anyone who finds themselves wrongfully accused in this country. I mean, it, it just, and I think I did not have that fear or even full awareness, I think, until uh, maybe it was a misplaced belief, uh, but uh, until this case. You know, we've also filed our petition asking the court permission to file our post-conviction petition. Okay, that's that's basically the legal document that alleges Chester Weger is innocent. The first step is the court reviews all our evidence and makes a determination if we satisfied our burden of letting the case move on to stage two. I think we I think we will win that. But that's still under review. The judge still has that. The judge, the court told us at the last court hearing, you know, court is working its way through it. There's a lot to review. So we're hoping that, you know, continues to move along its track. But again, it's a slow process. Uh, I only went to the courts because I had to. I went, you know, Will County could vacate this conviction today. They have the power to do that today. There's one other interesting update. You know, I mentioned how uh, Will County had not interviewed any of my witnesses. They'd only interviewed two people, David Reculia. Okay. Why? Yeah, it's nothing, has has no firsthand knowledge of anything. Um, At one year old, he had, yeah. he had pertinent, relevant information that we have to get from him. And they also interviewed the now, you know, grown up man who's about my age, who was, when one of the husbands remarried, his second wife had given birth to a baby boy two months before the murders. They interviewed that adult man. You know, he's an adult now. Can we interview my son? My son's eight months. I mean, we got a, a one-year-old, a two-month-old. Can we get a can we get can we get a few more infants to be interviewed? They interviewed him, but they didn't ask him at the time. You know, the only really relevant question is who's your biological father? Because your biological father was actually one of the husbands. That means that this husband was having an affair. And that could be a potential motive for not wanting his wife around, okay? So I raised this with Will County. I said, hey, you interviewed this guy, but you didn't even ask him the only thing relevant. So what was the point of this interview if you weren't going to ask him that? So when I was in court last time, they handed me a memo. They re-interviewed him. And they asked him, I was shocked. They'd ask him if he'd be willing to submit to a DNA test. And he said he would have to think about it and he would get back to them. 
So let's pause there. I think what's super interesting about this is Will County has obviously agreed with me that this is a relevant investigatory topic. The bot, you know, who is this? That baby boy born two months before the murders. Who is his biological father? They agree with me. So they asked the question, they asked this man to take a DNA test. So I just thought that was an interesting turn of events because they hadn't done that to date. And they must agree with me that it's a potential motive. I also think it's interesting that the gentleman said he wanted to think about it. Uh, that's a personal choice. I am not going to um, be critical of, of that. Uh, it's a personal choice. I just would note that the response was he wanted to think about it. He would get back to Will County. And his, I haven't heard anything. Um, I'm hoping that maybe the DNA testing goes through and we could get an answer if it's, you know, if his biological father's not one of the husbands, okay, we can put that issue to bed. And if it is, well, you know, we've got a potential motive now. So I thought that was an interesting update as well. What else do you want to say, Whitney? I've just dumped a lot of, a lot on your lap in the last half hour. You know, so often we hear from uh, this, the state in terms of, uh, of the family members uh, of the victims and, and all the other parties involved. Well, this is painful. You know, this is an uncomfortable area uh, to discuss. This is, and I feel like so often the excuse for not pursuing this case and the truth further is, well, it's really painful to a lot of parties involved. But what bugs me is, you know, what's painful is 60 years in prison. It's painful to be the Uyghur family and spend every ounce of energy for six decades trying to find some normalcy and some sense of justice and gathering every financial resource that you have to fight for the rights of your of your relative. And, and I feel like that doesn't get the respect or attention or just legitimization that I feel like it should from the chorus of people around this case. Yeah. I mean, don't we all want the same thing? Yeah. I understand it's painful for the families, but you're right. It's painful for Chester Weger and his whole family. And we want the truth. Yeah. And, and we want the right person to be identified. Yeah. We want, we want justice for the victims, for yeah. the victims too. I mean, my God, we want justice, right? Yeah. And so, yes, it is painful for everybody. But that doesn't mean, you know, that we can't go down this road and try to get to the truth at all. You're right. My big frustration with everything that we've discussed here today is that, you know, with with all due respect to the son uh, of the second wife of one of the husbands and uh, and to, to Dave Reculia, talking to them doesn't really accomplish much. And you've provided, right, talking to people who are infants at the time of this crime makes no sense to me. And you have provided this list of people with pertinent, relevant information and documentary evidence, and that's being dismissed. And I guess, uh, you know, on a, on a very personal note, uh, this last uh, term, I've, I've been taking professional responsibility and legal ethics. Okay. I've been sitting in that class and we keep going through all these bullet points of appropriate conduct in, in the legal profession. And I keep sitting there in my mind, I keep reading, I'll read a passage and go, boom, not appropriate in the Chester Weger case. Boom, not appropriate in the Chester Weger case. And it and it reads 
when you go back and listen to our podcast again, right? And you just read through all the information in the case, it reads like just a how-to list to inappropriately conduct a legal matter. And yet here we are, like you said, 60 plus years on from the crime, five years out from you and I still talking about it, two years since Will County got this information, and we're still sitting here ranting about it. We've made no progress, like I said. Yeah, and it's just it's it's just so frustrating. And I, yeah. I can't articulate that well enough, I think, for people listening. We've been in this road trip, and it's almost like, you know, we 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 didn't have a GPS. We were kind of just going off like visuals. Yeah. And then we took a turn and we drove for like two weeks, and then we're like, oh my God, Whitney, we are back at the gas station where we started. Yeah. This is where we fill, first filled the car up with gas. Yeah. We've driven for two weeks in a big circle yeah. and we've gotten nowhere. That's what is so scary to me is, is just, is the lack of progress. And let me make a comparison. So I think a lot of people out there, you know, the first big true crime podcast was Serial. That, that was like groundbreaking, you know, that, that just paved the way. The Adnan Syed case. And, you know, he ultimately was exonerated through a joint voluntary effort between the Baltimore District Attorney's Office and the Public Defender's Office. They worked together to kind of like, like let's jointly investigate this. They did DNA testing. They interviewed witnesses. And they did a joint investigation. I think it took over a year. And they ultimately concluded that he was, his conviction should be vacated. Okay. I mean, that has not happened here. Will County, to summarize, did not want me to even see the evidence. They misrepresented the condition of it to me. They were opposed to me testing anything. They have not interviewed any of my witnesses. They have not looked at any of the new documents, any of the Steve Stout documents, the first batch that's sitting at the LaSalle Historical Society. So what am I supposed to conclude by that? Other than they're, they just simply are not doing their job. It's indefensible. It's absolutely indefensible. And I'm hoping some change comes from it. I used a different word. You said indefensible. I said sinister. I, I feel like this is very sinister. It's something that people should be very upset about, <laughs> my opinion. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to do this in like a article I write, like an op-ed, or I'd like to basically do something, maybe even a documentary movie, talking about this very issue, which is we have state's attorneys all across the country who are tasked with reviewing potential wrongful convictions. Again, I'm not saying you have to agree with anybody who says they were wrongfully convicted. They may or may not have been. Every case depends on its own facts. But what you have to do, what you're obligated to do, and by Illinois, there's an Illinois Supreme Court rule. When the state's attorney, when the prosecutor is presented with new material credible evidence that somebody may be, have been wrongfully convicted, they shall, shall means you have a duty to, to conduct a reasonable investigation. And that hasn't happened. And it's it, same thing in Peoria, same thing I ran into with the Cleve Heidelberg case. I've heard stories from other people I know. This is a problem. This is a problem. Uh, there needs to be a fair review of cases when people present a credible case of a wrongful conviction. This is hard today, Whitney. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm down. I'm just down. We, we need a breakthrough in some way. You know, we need progress and we haven't gotten it. I will say I did finish the TikTok top 55 reasons Chester Uyghur is innocent. I started 55. 
I count it down to one. I did it every day. I drop a new one, 55 days straight. You can go to TikTok, Andy Hale. You can watch all those videos. They're, they're, they're short. They're like a minute long. Oh my God, Whitney. It's just so powerful. It's just so powerful and overwhelming. And here we sit. Here we sit. The car having crashed into a concrete wall. And we're on the side of the road. Thank God we're not hurt. But we're we're just sitting here. Our you know we're not going anywhere right now, or we're stuck in traffic. There's a there's a five mile traffic jam, and uh, we're just sitting in traffic right now. Well, we're an ambulance sitting in traffic. Yes, yes. You know, I mean that I, that's the stressful part. If you're just sitting in traffic, it's like, well, I'll I'll put on some tunes in a podcast or what have you, or I'll talk with my friend. But no, this is we are an ambulance with a person in critical condition, stuck in gridlock. And, and that is what is so aggravating. It is. It is. And if there's ever, you know, when I first met with Mr. Glasgow two years ago, you know, we had a two-hour meeting in his office. There it really was like, uh, oh, my gosh, time's of the essence. We got to get to the bottom of this. I, I walked out of that meeting like, wow, there really is, you know, there's some interest here in, in getting to the bottom of this. Something changed. I don't know what or why, but completely changed. And that's, that's where we're at. So I guess the next update's going to be probably once we have our court hearing on June 20th. I am trying to conduct genealogy on that one hair. That process is going slower than I thought. It's also been more difficult than we thought in terms of the sequencing. Uh, some of the technical issues... Um, it's, it's not been simple. It may or may not work. That's also, you know, just the reality of it. We, we may or may not be able to get a match from this. And I may or may not get access to test more physical evidence. You know, Will County's posted. I'm hoping I do. There's a lot more things I want to test, you know. I wish we could work together and say, hey, let's pick out what we both think is relevant. Let's test it. You know, we're not afraid to test anything. Let's test it. That's where we're at, Whitney Braun. Um, good to see you again. You too. I hope next time we will have more positive things to talk about. I hope it'll be much more upbeat. Our day's coming. I know it's coming. It's just, God, what a long road. What a long, difficult, bumpy road. And you and I have just been doing this for a few years. Yeah. Chesper's been going on this road for 60 plus years. I just remember, okay, I remember thinking the day before you went in for the parole hearing to find out if Chester would be paroled and released from prison. I remember thinking- Man, that's going to be the victory. Once that day comes, that's going to be the victory. And then everything after that, it, it's going to just get better and better and better. And, and it had felt like that for a really long time. And, and now I'm just praying. I am praying that someone does the right thing at the state level and goes for the truth. Whatever the outcome is, right, just try to seek truth and justice. Just, I'm praying for that. I'm just praying that that day comes. And I'll say one more time uh, to anybody out there listening, if you know anything, any little tip, something you heard, uh, there's no information that's too small. I mean, I'd love to hear something about the Chicago Mafia, the Palmateer Brothers, Smokey Rona, anything anybody heard. I'm still hoping there's an old timer out there who maybe just hasn't heard about us yet. Somebody that doesn't listen to podcasts, hasn't heard about what we're doing, 
has no idea all this has been going on, but hears about the progress we've made and says, oh, yeah, let me tell you what I know. I, I still have a little beacon of hope. I know there's somebody like that out there, Whitney. I know there is somebody in their 80s who's out there who knows something about the Chicago Mafia, Smokey Rona, the Palmateer Brothers. I got to find this person. I got to find this man or woman because they're out there. They are out there. And I just got to find any way I can to reach them. That's why I did the podcast. I took out ads in the LaSalle paper. I did postcards. I mean, maybe I got to just, you know, what else can I do? Go door to door like a, like a, you know, a traveling salesman and knock on doors. I mean, if I do, I'll do it, you know, <laughs> but to reach that person, right? I got to reach that person. So anybody out there with any information, please, please. And by the way, Whitney, I just thought of this. You know, another one of my witnesses that I gave to Will County was the polygraph examiner, Steve Kindick. Oh, he's alive. Yeah. He's like 89 years old living in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, he wouldn't talk to me. I reached out to him. He, he wouldn't talk to me. Now, Will County probably can get him to talk and interview him. Yeah. Why would you not do that? Why would you not talk to him? It's apparently too hard to make a phone call to Pennsylvania, I guess. Oh, my gosh. I got to take a deep breath. I got to meditate here. <laughs> In and out. All right. So, Whitney... I think that's a wrap for today. I could go on and on like Festivus. I could just have for a Seinfeld fans out there. I could just air all my grievances. Maybe I should do a Festivus poll and, <laughs> and just we'll just air all of our grievances because I've got a bunch. But I am not going away. And, you know, if anything, my will is only double what it used to be because I can smell justice. I know we're on the doorsteps of justice. We just, we've come too far, you know, there's no way we're turning back now. So I look forward to continuing our conversation. Same here. <laughs>